How are we doing? Man, it's good to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, man, I love it. I love getting to gather together. I love that you're here. I've been praying for you guys this week, and I just, I'm excited about this message. I'm excited about what I feel God's laid on my heart, and, and we're in this series called Overcoming, where we're really, the, the whole theme of it is God is ultimately the hero of our story. If we're going to let him work in us, we submit to him, he's going to be the hero of that story. And I just want to highlight some heroics that, that happened around here this last week. Now, God is the hero, but he chooses to work through us. And, and this last week, we had our Creek Kids Week, which growing up, you may know it as VBS. Um, and uh, I just want to share with you some, some just amazing wins. Um, we, had, we had around 120 kids each night, and we had kids registered that didn't show up. Then we had kids show up that hadn't registered, and our team did a they did, our team did a great job getting them in to their to small groups and things. That's a challenge when we have people that don't sign up because we kind of plan. It's kind of like when you're hosting a dinner at your house and you know how many steaks to throw on the grill and five more people show up and then everybody else is like, so I'm only getting half the steak. Um, but I, I'm so grateful for our team because they gave everybody the good stuff all week. But we, it was 98 volunteers. No, no, let me stop. That's a vocabulary faux pas. It was not 98 volunteers, because if you remember a couple weeks ago, I told you volunteers work for a cause, leaders change the world. It was 98 leaders on this campus leading our kids this week. Um, in that, uh, of the kids that came, almost 30% don't come to the creek. Um, and that just shows us how hungry our community is to connect with authentic community, connect and, and it might be that moms were just sick of their kids by this point in the summer, and they just needed to get them out of the house. We'll take it, right? We'll take anything we can get. But uh, we, had, we had 27 kids make a decision for Christ this week. Um, that is... And you know what I love about that? I was talking to Pastor Tammy, and Tammy goes, I didn't, I didn't lead those kids. Most of the salvations we had, it was 23 salvations and four rededications, 23 first-time decisions. And, and in those decisions, the small group leaders were the ones that led them to Christ. It's not the staff that does the heavy work of ministry. It's the saints, right? And those leaders are saints, especially for, for, for coming up here every night last week. And, and I was talking to one of the worship leaders, and she said, my calves are still sore from jumping around. And I mean, it just, and I know some, some are probably sleeping in still, but it's amazing. So thank you for a wonderful week. That, the heroics in that, God's the hero, but I'm grateful that you made yourself available for God to do something through you. Because we, we celebrate you, but we honor God. And so thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, I want to I continue in this series, Overcoming. And I want to introduce you to a, a woman named Hannah. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, Hannah is a, is a story that I want to kind of work through on, on God showing us his heroics and overcoming identity. And identity is one that, that we all struggle with. Um, identity is one we wrestle with. And, and, and I, I even intentionally, my staff hates this, but I intentionally throw our staff into identity, identity crisis a couple times a year. I just want to get back to the root and ask the question in a staff meeting, who are we? Who are we as a church? I mean, and I think we all face seasons in our life where we look in the mirror and the real question that we want to ask is, who am I? Really, who am I? And, and, and Hannah's going to struggle with this identity, and I want to just show you some different things. Hannah is married to a man named 
um, Elkanah. We'll call him Elk for short, because uh, uh, I don't want to have to say Elkanah all, all, all night so, and all weekend. And so I'm just going to say uh, you have Elk and you have Hannah. Now, Hannah is married to Elk, and Elk is also married to a woman named Penaniah. Now, um, that's going to set up, <laughs> that sets up a lot more struggles than just tonight's message, I'm just saying. But, uh, so he's married, and so, so Penaniah had kids, and Hannah did not have kids. And, and um, let me just start in verse 3. It says, now this man, the Elkaniah, uh, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were a priest of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacri- or Elk, let me just say Elk, um, sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. So he would make sacrifices, and he would give a portion to Penaniah and her, her kids. And then he would turn around, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So to set this up, you've got Hannah who is not able to have kids. She's in, in, in the Old Testament, you'll see polygamy. Um, it, it, it doesn't mean it, it's right, it was allowable, but it doesn't mean it's right. But you, you, it creates a struggle because you've got Penaniah who's able to provide kids, and you've got Hannah who can't. And Hannah ends up struggling in an identity based off of, off of that. And, and her husband loved her. Her husband, he gave her a double portion. He blessed her doubly because he loved her. And he's speaking love over her. And he loved her not based on what she could give him. See, that, that, that's, a, that's a pure love, right? If we love someone based on what they can give us, it's transactional. But if we love someone based on we're called to love and we're created to love and we love because God first loved us, that's a healthy, holy love. It doesn't matter what I give. I mean, in, in my marriage, it doesn't matter what, what we give each other. We're called to love one another. And in that love, we serve one another. And he served his wife a double portion because he loved her. That's important to understand. That's foundational to this conversation. That's foundational to, to what we look at in this and in, in what's going to happen with Hannah. Verse 6 says, and her rival, which would be Penaniah, her rival used to provoke, <laughs> I just, that just hit me. Of course, if you've got two wives, you're, you, there's going to be rivalry. I'm just, you know, so, so <laughs> I was, when I was a youth pastor, it was interesting trying to explain in the Old Testament how they would have multiple wives. And, and, and the girls hated the idea, but the guys were like, dude, that would be cool. And now the guys are like, no, no. I can't handle that. I can't handle one. I mean, my calendar is full remembering one birthday, you know, one anniversary. Anyway, just going to keep going before I get in a lot of trouble there. Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. So this just wasn't a temporary problem. This wasn't just something that, hey, I think we're wrestling with this for a season. It went on year after year after year, and the taunting, the provoking, it was just, it was pressure, and and as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, therefore Hannah wept and would not eat, so her husband is blessing her with a double portion, yet because she's listening to a voice that's provoking her and irritating her based on something that this person thinks she should be, she's refusing to eat the blessing that's laid before, a double blessing. I mean, think, think about this in context, that the firstborn son of the home of Israel received the double blessing. You and I 
when we come to faith in Christ and we experience that spirit of adoption, then what happens is we are placed in the household of God, the family of God, as the rights, privileges, and the blessing of the firstborn. And too often, we don't eat it, we don't enjoy that blessing because we're so bitter, we're, we're weeping, we're so broken, and we're so focused on what we don't have instead of what God's laid in front of us. And we start to identify with what we don't have, and we miss the whole life that God is laying in front of us. We're stuck in an identity crisis. It's the question of, who am I? I mean, when Hannah could, would look at this, she would weep. Because when she asked the question, who am I, she would recognize I'm not a mother instead of who I am. I mean, just just look what we've already seen. She's a a wife who is loved. And you're going to see it play out even more. She wouldn't eat. And Elk, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Which is an open question. And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Listen to what he says. Am I not more to you than 10 sons? He's saying, Hannah, I, I love you. And I don't, I don't want you in this state. I don't want, listen, I'm, you've got blessing in front of you. I'm, I'm here. Am I not worth more than 10 sons? I've, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And he's reassuring her. He's reaffirming her in in this identity. And so you've got a voice that's condemning her based on you should be this. This is what you're supposed to be. And then she's got a voice speaking into her. But but that, that doesn't matter. I love you. And I'm setting blessing in front of you to show you how much I love you. It, it, it's the different voices that are starting to filter in. And then there's more voices that come in. So Hannah is so, so, so just down. She, she's weeping. And in verse 10, it says, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. It's a Nazarite vow. She's saying, if you'll give me a son, I will set him apart for you because if you give it, he's yours, what you put. She's asking the Lord to put something in front of her. She's looking past the blessing that her husband has put in front of her. She's asking the Lord. And, and sometimes, you know, this vow, you know, she's saying, if you do this, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna give him back to you. And Eli is the priest, and he's, he's watching all this going on. He's seeing, her, he's seeing her weeping, and he's seeing her praying, but he's not hearing her pray. I mean, have you, have you, have you ever tried to ask somebody to pray, and they're super uncomfortable about it? They're like, well, I, I, I don't want to pray in front of people, you know? I mean, it's just like, I, I pray, but I, I, don't, I don't like praying in front of people. I mean, honestly, when I challenge husbands and wives, do you, do you pray with each other? And sometimes I get this, this look like, that, no, that's just awkward. Yeah, when you first start it, it's awkward. It, I'll tell you how awkward it is. Watch seventh graders at a dance. <laughs> that's how awkward it is. But you know what? You only get better at it by doing it. And I would say if you and your, your, your spouse are facing things Listen, hold each other's hands and just start praying. And it, I'm not, so we get, so it has to be this long, eloquent thing. Jesus said, don't babble like pagans do. 
You don't have to use a lot of words. It, your, your prayer with your, your wife, guys, might just be holding her hand and saying, God, would you give us peace and wisdom on this decision? You've just started. What that is, that's the, and you just took a step in the dance. Next thing you know, you'll start, it, it becomes natural. It becomes natural. But, but when Hannah's praying, what, what Scripture says is, is she's weeping and she's praying. Her mouth is moving, but no words are coming out. So Eli's watching her, and he's seeing this. He's, 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 then you've got another voice entering into the narrative here, and he's, he tells her, he says, uh, I, he said, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away. He, he thinks she's drunk because she's weeping, and she's pouring her heart out, heart out before God, but she's praying in her heart, and her mouth, isn't, her mouth is moving, but there's no words coming out. And so he sees her, he's like, you're drunk. And she answers in verse 15. She says, but Hannah said, no, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've not drunk neither, I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. You know what I'm going to give props to Hannah on? She's going to the Lord in her distress. She's not going to something else to numb the pain. And she, she just right here steps on some toes because a lot of us will go to that glass of wine at night because it makes, it calms me down. It relieves the stress or it, it becomes something else to numb the pain. And, and people will ask me, how do I know if it's a problem? How do I know if something I'm doing is a problem? And I would ask you this, in that moment of distress, when the stress hits, when the provoking starts, when your rival, whether it be the enemy speaking about your past and he's speaking an identity over you, or it's someone at work or someone in your family, is the first thing you go to God or is it that thing? If it's that thing, you might have just identified something you need to let go of and press into the heart of God. But Hannah's saying, look, I'm, that's not where I'm going to find relief in it. I'm pouring my heart out before God. In verse 16, she says, don't, don't look at me as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She, so, so somehow, she's just now leaked that she feels worthless. And she's asking Eli, the priest, don't look at me like I'm worthless. My heart is heavy. I'm struggling here. I'm fighting through this. And I don't, now another voice is coming in going, diagnosing a problem without even speaking to her heart. And when she says this, Eli takes a step back and and he says, the the Lord of Israel will grant your request. And it says that she went away and she ate. What that means is she went away with faith. Faith. I laid it out before God. In my time of distress, I poured it all out, and he has heard me because the priest would speak on behalf of God, and he heard me, and he says, God will, will provide. God will do this. And then, and then some things happen, verse 19. You can go read it yourself. Some things happen, a couple date nights. But on verse 20, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him for the Lord. But notice what it says, in due time. We are such an instant gratification culture. Let's go back to the spouses, the husband and wife praying with each other. I tried it. We tried it a couple times, didn't really work. So we gave up on it. Sometimes you have to press in because in due time. 
And God's saying, look, I, press in. Keep pressing in. Well, I asked God and he didn't respond. Keep pressing in. I mean, in due time, that's God's timing. That's God's season. And we get so frustrated because, you know, we, we, we pull through a drive-thru and we see a line that's too long. Oh, this is going to take forever. I mean, we, we really need to, maybe it's just me, I say that. I need to reframe my perspective of forever, right? right? You know, I mean, I can go through a drive-thru and see 80 cars, but some restaurants are very efficient at getting those 80 through, and some are not. I'll just say that. Um, and and, and, and we, just, we just give up. We just give up. You know, we, we've been trying, and we've been trying, and we've been trying, and it's just not happening. I've been asking, but listen, just press in, just press in. Let, let the instant gratification in us, let, let, let that be crucified with Christ. Because some of the best things that come in our life don't come instantly. And in due season, in due time. I mean, I think of what, what we're challenged with in Galatians. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Because in due season, you will reap a great harvest. We're planting seeds. And we keep planting and we keep watering with an expectation that in the right season, and God may be saying, look, it's time to be planting and you're looking forward to the harvest. Have hope for the harvest, but keep planting. Stay faithful in this moment. And Hannah has a son. And she did come through on her vow. She, she grew, grew this child, she weaned him, and then she brought him to the temple. And she shows up at the temple, Eli's there, she goes, hey, it's me. I was, a couple years ago, three years ago, you, I was praying, you thought I was drunk. Yeah, I'm that one. She's like, I got a toddler now, so don't ask me that question again. But she says, that was funny, you can laugh about that. Just, just we're, okay, we're, we're, just, we're, just, we're just here together, okay? Um, but she says, for this child I prayed... And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he live, lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Samuel worshiped the Lord. That lent means dedicated. This is the passage that we get baby dedications from. That, that she has said, God has given me this gift, and now I'm giving them, trusting this gift to God. For God to use his life the way God sees fit. And this, this boy Samuel grew up and he ministered even as a young boy in the temple. And Samuel grew up and he became a prophet. And do you know who he anointed to be king? King David. Isn't it amazing that in due time how God works? But when we get stuck on looking at what we don't have versus the blessing that's laid in front of us, it causes us a lot of issues. It throws us into an identity crisis. We feel worthless because we don't have this thing we're looking for. We think this thing is going to create the fullness of our identity. If I only had that. And let me, let me challenge you because if that thing that we're focusing on to bring fulfillment, if that's what we think it's going to be, that becomes an idol. That becomes the thing we start pressing into or the things we run to out of our distress when it doesn't happen. And God said, you know, focus on me. Come towards me. Let me work in this. Let me tell you who you are. Hannah was struggling. Who am I? We struggle that. Who am I? And if we're going to let God be victorious in this struggle, in this battle, this is a fight. 
It is a fight for our identity. It is a fight to get to the foundation of answering the question, who am I? And if we're going to win in that, we've got to let God do some work in us. And at first, we've got to let God filter the voices. And listen, we've got some work to do on that. I mean, look at all the voices that are coming into Hannah. You've got someone provoking her and taunting her. I mean, it doesn't say what they are, but, but we know how, listen, we know how mean people can be. He's got the voice of, of her rival. She's got the voice of her husband, and, and, and he's speaking blessing over her. But she's got to also learn to filter in that. She's got Eli thinking she's drunk, and then she, she, spills a, her, she feels worthless to him because of his voice. All of these voices that are, that are stirring in, in Hannah's mind, they're coming in. There's external voices. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of internal voices too. I don't think I'm the only person that walks around with voices in my head. You know, and, and, and I, I think we all do it. And sometimes I'm speaking to myself and I'm the rival. We also have an enemy that loves to speak identity over us, that loves to speak shame over us. Who, who, who do you listen to? I mean, are you, are you letting voices on social media have that heavy of an influence in your life? I mean, look at the voices on social media. Just look at the voices in our communities now. They're, they're, they can be so angry. They can be so bitter. They can be so filled with hate. They can also be so filled with apathy that we don't do anything. We've got to filter the voices that are coming in, even our own voice. You know, I learned something that's helped me with this because we all have, we all have a lot of voices coming in. We've got, to, we've got to assign a weight to those voices because there's voices that speak in and and they may be critics or they may be companions. And you've got you've to filter which is which. I mean, I, 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 I do live a very public lifestyle. I'm public in our community. Over the last year, we've had to make decisions as a church that, that some didn't agree with and some did. And the, the last year, specifically for ministry, as a leader in ministry, has been so polarizing and I had to learn very quickly last year to give weight to voices, that there are critics that are speaking, but they're speaking from their heart, not from my heart. But I have companions that will come alongside of me, and they will give critiques, but the difference is, and the reason I will give them more weight in my life and in my ear is because I know they have my heart. It doesn't mean they're going to agree with me. Don't, don't surround yourself with people who just agree with you. You need people that are going to challenge you. But listen, you've got to have companions, not critics. Because the critics will send you in a tailspin. I had to stop reading all the comments. I stopped reading through all the emails that when I knew what they were go- where they were going, I got the gist of it, and okay, we're going to let that one just go on. When I was on sabbatical, I was camping, and I think this is where God was just saying this is really true. I just set up camp. I'm sitting there, and I'm writing, and I'm just being quiet before God. I'm praying. I'm reading. I'm listening, and I'm writing, and all of a sudden, it's just that feeling, you know, that feeling like somebody's there, and I I look to my left, and five feet from me is a a five-and-a-half-foot rattlesnake. Now, (laughs) 
I, I, I didn't say some holy things right in that moment. I mean, I'm a pastor, but I am human, y'all. And I hadn't a gun on my person. And so he was on my left. I jumped out of the chair probably 10 feet to the right, you know, because adrenaline can make you do amazing things, right? And so I'm standing there, and I'm just asking God, God, I, why, what, what, God, I'm just, I'm here on a retreat for you, man. I'm listening to you. I'm trying to write what you're saying. And why that, why that? I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm freaking, snakes freak me out, y'all. I mean, they, they, just, they just give me the creepy crawly. I'm probably going to dream about snakes tonight because I mentioned snakes. I'm going to wake up, and Heather's going to be freaked out because I'm going to be freaked out. Just, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it, I got issues with snakes, and God knows that. But as I finally started calming down, this, this is what, I, it wasn't audible, but this is what I felt like God spoke to my heart. Matt, snakes are going to come through your camp. Sometimes you just got to let them slither on out. And there are going to be snakes that come through your camp that are going to try to try to inject their venom into you, your life, your family, your future, the hope that God is putting before you. And sometimes you just don't engage with them. You let them slither on by. Because I wasn't prepared for that battle. And I know the snake would have won. So I let it go. Listen, there's voices in your life that when they give you that critique, it's, it's hard. And it is hard. But you got to let it go on by. Because your companions are the ones that are going to come to you. And they'll give you the critique, but they give it out of love, not out of a self-serving position. Because there is constructive criticism, but listen, there's destructive criticism as well. And you've got to start assigning weight to the voices. Not every voice in my life gets the same weight. And I think that's helped me. I still struggle with identity. I'm not saying I've mastered this. But it helps me press into the heart of God because God can say, hey, you don't need to listen to that. That's not input that needs to come in and have any decision and have any weight in your life of whether or not you're going to hear it or listen to it. Now, I will hear the critiques, I will hear it, but I, I may not give weight to it. Because I can't walk away from conversations polarized like this. Well, that person's completely nuts. But I also can't walk away. I'm completely nuts. So I have to reconcile. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And if you've been in a counseling session with me, you've heard me talk about the truth been in the middle. Let's get to the middle as quick as we can. Well, we got to filter those voices. As we do that, what, what we got to do is we've got to check our heart. Listen, the heart is the wellspring of life. Scripture says to guard it. And we've got to check our heart. So that's, that means filtering our voice because we speak to ourselves and we speak identity. And we have to kind of do a check here of what's happening in my heart. You know, I'll get to a point like, am I struggling because of something I want? Hannah wanted a son. We see that in her distressed prayer to God. Hannah wanted a son. Do we, do we find ourselves in an identity crisis because there's something that our, that, our, that our heart has set its focus on and we think the fulfillment happens when we get that? And listen, sometimes it's not always a tangible thing. Sometimes we want so desperately for affection and interaction from other people and acceptance 
that we're willing to compromise so many things about ourselves to get what we want. We start to change our identity to find acceptance. We start to change things about our lifestyle so we can get what we want. And we've got to, listen, we are the only ones that can get in the the deep, dark moments, the quiet moments, and do the heart check. Because these are the conversations that we have with ourselves that we're unwilling to share with anyone else. These are the hurts that we carry, the distress, she said vexation, the heaviness that is on us, that we don't want to have a conversation with anyone else about it, so we get in the quietness of our moment, and that's where we pour it out to God, and we start to ask him, God, I need you to reveal my heart. I need you to show me where I'm at. I need you to show me. If If there's anything in me that's keeping me from the fullness of your glory and keeping me from pressing all the way into you, if there's anything that I'm allowing myself to cover my ears, to listen to my identity coming from you, then God, help me reveal that. And when we start finding out what we really want, I want to challenge you. Is it, is it a vow or a bargain? Because we'll ask God for stuff. But Hannah made a vow. Now, if she hadn't dedicated Samuel to the Lord, it would, have been a, it would have been a bargain. God, give me a son, and I'll give him back to you. And God gives her a son, and she goes, no, this is mine to hold on to. Are we asking God, listen, are we asking God for things to release back to him? Or are we asking God to give us things so we can hold on to him and find our identity in him? Listen, if you find your identity in your kids, your kids are going to go to college. Your kids are going to grow up. They're going to move away. If you find your identity in your kids, your kids are going to screw up because we're human. If you find your identity in a job, Listen, you don't get a job very, it's very rare you get a job in this society and you can put in 30 years, get the gold watch and retire. So when the job goes away, you're struggling in identity. Even if you did work 30 years and get the gold watch, the day after the retirement party, you're back in a crisis. You're, you're, who am I now? Money. We pray, God, I need money. God, give me money. God, would you bless me with money? God, I'm buying this scratch off. If you, if you let me win this lottery, God, I'm going to pay off the debt at the church. God, I'm going to build. We, oh, man, it's gonna, it, we own, baby. I would say you probably won't because you're bargaining with God. Because God would say, well, well, why you want me to give you a million dollars when you don't give anything now? I know I've gone to meddling, but listen, it, it's... Are you praying for stuff for you to hold on to or to really release? That really is a heart check. That reveals our heart. And that, that, that heart check leads us to a place that can be scary but also can be life-changing because out of all of that, it reveals the true source of our identity. I... I know there's a lot of voices that speak into us about identity. And yeah, there's voices, I'm just going to pick on that for a minute. There's voices in my life that yes, I give more weight that have a voice into my identity. But there can be millions, six billion people on the planet. There can be six billion voices about identity. But there's only two sources. 
And the sources of those identities would be the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of darkness. That's why this is a battle. That's why there's a crisis of identity. That's why it's a fight that we have to engage and God calls us to engage and stand up because the only way the hero God plays out in this overcoming story of the identity of my life, the identity of your life, is when we submit to him and let him be the one who owns the battle anyway. Because the enemy's constantly going to come after you and fight for your identity. And when he's fighting for your identity, it's anything other than being identified as a child of God. Listen, Hannah's primary, first, foundational identity was a child of God. Everything else flows out of that. That's the same thing in our culture and our society today. Look, my identity as a husband flows out of my identity in Christ. My identity as a father flows from a source that is my identity in Christ. My identity as a a grandfather, my identity as your pastor flows from my identity in Christ. If I don't have my identity in Christ firmly rooted and planted and strong and he's the source, then I'm going to change my identity to get everybody else to do the things I want or to get the things I want. And that's going to then, I've just changed my source. I've unplugged from the kingdom of heaven and the king of kings and who is the overcomer and I've plugged it into the kingdom of darkness. And out of that, darkness flows. It's as simple as that. Listen to Hannah's source. Listen to, listen to when she gets to the source of it. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. Exalts. You know, that means rejoices. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn, horn is a symbol of strength. My strength is exalted, is lifted up, is made strong in the Lord. My strength is made strong in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. What she's saying is, I have an answer for my enemies. For the ones who are speaking against me and telling me who I should be and telling me what I should do, I've got an answer for them because I rejoice in your salvation. Because I know Whose I am, now I know who I am. And if we're going to struggle with who am I, who am I, we've got to get to the heart of the question, whose am I? And this was so much deeper than, than Hannah being mocked for not having kids. But listen, listen, your identity is not what you do. Your identity is whose you are. I want to take you back to the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus entered ministry, Jesus is, is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is our redeemer. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He modeled for us the kingdom values But before his ministry began, he approached a man named John, John the baptizer. And he says, I need to be baptized. And John says, no, 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 I know who you are. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus said, I'm doing this out of obedience. So John baptizes Jesus in the water. And when he comes up out of the water, there's an amazing thing that happens that's so significant for our identities. A voice 
from heaven. It was the Father speaking over the Son. He says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Do you hear that? God the Father is speaking over Jesus. This is my Son. He's mine. We have connection and we have relationship and nothing on heaven, on earth, or under the earth can sever that relationship. He's mine. And in him is my pleasure. This was before Jesus walked on water. This was before Jesus healed anyone who was sick. This was before Jesus raised anyone from the dead. This was before Jesus took the weight of your sin and my sin on his own shoulders and willingly laid his body down on a cross and gave his life to be the payment for our sins. It was before Jesus performed any of those acts because identity in Christ is not based on our performance. It's based on whose we are. And we place our faith and our trust our life, everything we've got in the hands of Jesus, those nail-scarred hands who held it all in his and brings the grace that we so desperately need. When we find our relationship in him, he says, you're mine. And I know whenever the enemy, a rival, a critic, or a companion speaks anything of identity over me, it goes through the filter yeah, yeah, you're telling me who I should be. You're telling me who you think I am. Well, let me tell you whose I am because out of that flows everything. Father, we love you and we thank you. I thank you, God, that when we place our faith, our trust, our hope, our past, our present, our struggles and our wins in your hands and we just come to you and we, Jesus, we just, ask you for grace and mercy. We, we just ask you to forgive us. Forgive us. You freely forgive us. You pour out your grace on us and you enter into this relationship. You've set a double portion, a double blessing in front of us because when we place our life in you, you treat us as family. And we're connected in this relationship that nothing can sever. And you speak your identity over us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we have. God, I'm so grateful that your pleasure in us is not based on our behavior, but it's because we're your kids. And I'm praying today, God, for those who are struggling in identity. I pray that you just pray that you speak into them. God, give them the faith. Give them the wisdom right now. God, the spiritual gift of discernment, I just pray on our people so they can discern the voices and discern your voice to hear you, Father, speaking over them. God, I pray for those who have never found their identity in you, Jesus. I pray this is that moment today that all of eternity changes. And we just say, Jesus, I'm asking you for forgiveness. I'm asking you to save me from my past, myself, from everything around me that the kingdom of darkness is trying to suck me into. I'm asking you to save me. Jesus, I believe you died for me because you love me. 
You set that blessing in front of me of eternal life, and I accept that. I hear you speak faith over me, God, and I get up and I eat. I take part of your grace from this day forevermore. Thank you that in that you have now made us a new creation in Christ. And we may wrestle at times of who am I? But now for all of eternity we know the answer of whose am I? And we live our life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys.